In the month of September, we have been reading from the letter to the Philippians uh, in worship each Sunday. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to a church that was trying to be faithful in some very complicated times. Competing values were creating conflict in their diverse city, and the church caught in the middle of a city where wealth and status and political affiliation and ethnicity made unity, not just in the city, but also in the church, a struggle. And so as the church tried to be faithful to God, to be supportive of a healthy community in the middle of a conflicted time, Paul wrote to them with encouragement, with wisdom, and with love. Paul reminded the Philippian church of the unity that they experienced with God through baptism. Paul reminded them that they belonged to God in all circumstances of their lives, and that nothing, absolutely nothing, would change that promise. And so Paul encouraged the church that as they were living their faith in, in deep Christ-like ways, that they could live just as Christ had lived, emptying himself of self-centered desires so that he would be open and receptive and prepared to receive and to live out God's will, God's desire. Paul saw that the church was living in such ways, ways that followed Christ faithfully. Paul sought to encourage them not to let the world's conflicts discourage, diminish, or break up their commitment to being a church that lived for others in generous and in joyful ways. And living so, living as a fellowship like this, Paul said to the Philippians that they shine like stars. They shine so that their light may be shared with all who they know and meet. The scripture that we hear today is wisdom that Paul offers the Philippian church about humility. So listen now for Paul's word to the Philippian church, God's word to us. It comes from Philippians chapter 3. We will read from verses 4 to 14. Today I am reading from the Common English Bible translation rather than the New Revised Standard Version. So do take note, it is, has a slightly different sound than we're used to. Listen now for God's living word to you, the people of God. Though I have good reason to have this kind of confidence, if anyone else has reason to put their confidence in physical advantages, I, Paul, have even more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the law, I am a Pharisee. With respect to devotion to the faith, I harass the church. And with respect to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. 
These things were my assets, but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. But even beyond that, I consider everything a loss in comparison with the superior value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have lost everything for him, but when I, when what I lost I think of as sewer trash, I might gain Christ and be found in him. In Christ I have a righteousness that is not my own, that does not come from the law, but rather from the righteousness of Christ. It is the righteousness of God that is based on faith. The righteousness that I have comes from knowing Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings. It includes being conformed to his death, so that I may perhaps reach the goal of resurrection from the dead. It is not that I have already reached this goal or have already been perfected, but I pursue it so that I may grab hold of it because Christ grabbed hold of me for just this purpose. Brothers and sisters, I myself do not think that I have reached it, but I do this one thing. I forget about the things behind me and reach out for the things ahead of me. The goal I pursue is the prize of God's upward call in Jesus Christ. Church, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. In lieu of the customary prayer that I typically offer at the beginning, or just before a sermon, I want to instead offer for you words of a friend of mine, a colleague. A colleague. He's Episcopalian, so we think a little differently, uh, but I deeply appreciate the way he comes before his congregation each Sunday when he comes to proclaim. And considering this morning, Paul offers the church a word about humility, Bill's very humble words, humbling words, seem suitable. He says, I speak to you today as a sinner to sinners, as the beloved of God to God's beloved, as one called to bear witness to those called to bear witness. Now, humility, as Paul lived it and taught it, was not simply being modest with what one has or accomplishments that one has achieved. Sure, these are great things, and Paul would affirm this kind of humility. But an even deeper humility exists in Paul's teaching, one where people of faith seek to live, as Paul says, a righteousness of God that is based on faith. Now, righteousness is often taken to mean a person whose behavior is virtuous, which is morally right. A, a person has standing and status in their excellent position and sometimes in the accomplishments of their piety. 
Now this kind of righteousness too can be taken too far. As a person can stand above or alone or superior to others. And while Paul teaches to live in good conduct and character toward other people, to Paul, righteousness is something that comes from God, of which the church is a steward. Paul is coaching the Philippian church to live this righteousness as though he were coaching a team sport. In other words, the fellowship of the church lives a compassion, a peace, a well-being, a wholeness that opens from their humility when it is lived together, not lived for one's own self. If one were to take that Greek word that is translated as righteousness, its, its definitions include these things, compassion, peace, well-being, and wholeness. The righteousness that Paul teaches is about living these together, not living as an individual self, as much as it is about the character of an entire community together. And so when one suffers, we suffer together. When one knows joy, we rejoice together. When one knows pain, we live that pain together. Righteousness for Paul means embodying God's purposes in human relationships and, and providing for the well-being of all because God is providing for us in the gift of resurrection. And because of this gift, people are able and called to live in Christ-like ways for others. There was once a Lutheran pastor and theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was also an anti-Nazi dissident who was killed in a concentration camp at the very end of World War II. He pursued a life like the one that Paul described, pursued it diligently with humility. He pursued it like what Paul taught the Philippians, seeking peace, compassion, well-being, for all peoples, and especially focused on people who knew oppression from others. In a letter that he wrote to, wrote from a Nazi prison to his friend Eberhard, he wrote this. And bear with me, it's a bit long, but it's so good. I remember a conversation I had, Bonhoeffer says, with a colleague. We were asking ourselves quite simply what we wanted to do with our lives. And he said that he would like to become a saint. And I think quite likely that he did become one. At the time, I was very impressed, but I disagreed with him and said, in effect, that I should like to learn to have faith. For a long time, I didn't realize the depth of the contrast. I thought that I could acquire faith by trying to live a holy life or something like it. Bonhoeffer continued writing to his friend Eberhard saying this, I discovered later, and I'm still discovering right now, right up to this very moment, that it is only by living completely
completely in this world that one learns to have faith. One must completely abandon any attempt to make something of, one, of oneself, whether it is a saint or a converted sinner or a churchman or churchwoman, a so-called priestly type, a righteous person or an unrighteous one, a sick or a healthy one. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, problems, successes, failures, experiences, and perplexities. In doing so, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God. And we take seriously not our own sufferings, but the sufferings of God in the world, watching with Christ in Gethsemane. That, Bonhoeffer says, that, I think, is faith. That is metanoia, that is transformation, and that is how one becomes a human being and a Christian. How can success make us arrogant or failure lead us astray when we share in God's sufferings through a life of this kind? Bonhoeffer knew, like Paul, that compassion and peace and well-being bring life. And life is a gift from God, and so the faith community does not live its faith in ways that seek recognition or attention for our own purposes. When the actions of people do harm to others or to ourselves, should not define ourselves by the action or perceived shame by resulted, that results from it, neither should we define other people in this way. Paul is clear on this because no person earns or accomplishes on their own what God gives. In humility, we reach for it, and as the fellowship that is called the church, we reach for it together. We try to cultivate this life knowing that God is generous, that God is merciful, and God guides us from the very place of humility that Christ lived from, that very place that we in the church are called to imitate, just like Christ lived. Now the Apostle Paul, speaking of faith in his own life, reminds the entire Christian fellowship that we have not reached the goal of knowing Christ or living in Christ in a perfect way, but that we continue to pursue it, reaching out for it, and the foundation for doing so is our humility, our humility of knowing that that righteousness, that peace and compassion and well-being is found in God, is found in Christ Jesus. I want to share a contemporary example of this teaching. On Friday, we, many of us have heard by now that the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. 
Now she was asked some years ago to give a lecture at Stanford University, a lecture whose purpose is to invite great thinkers to come and reflect on a meaningful life. What is a meaningful life? And Bader Ginsburg, in an interview where she was in dialogue around this lecture, said this. To put it simply, to live a meaningful life means doing something outside of yourself. I tell the law students who I address now and then, if you are going to be a lawyer and just practice your profession, well, you have a skill and you're very much like a plumber. But if you want to be a true professional, you will do something outside of yourself. Something to repair tears in your community. Something to make life better for people. That's what I think a meaningful life is. One lives not just for oneself, but for one's community. This expression of living for others, taken in light of Paul's letter to the Philippians, remind us that we live not just for ourselves, but for Christ. Our lives are not our own. We belong to God, and in the gift of this belonging, in the gift of this life lived in Christ, we share our lives with one another. We share them together also for others. And Paul is too quick to remind himself, and in doing so, too quick to remind us that we should take it to heart that we are not perfect, and the church is not perfect, and we are not perfected outside of Christ. And we have not already reached that goal, but we are reaching toward it, Paul teaches, and we are called to reach, and to strive, and pursue of God's upward call in Jesus Christ, which we see modeled by the Philippians as a life that lives together, a community that loves together, a fellowship that suffers together, a people who rejoice together, strangers and friends who gather together to grieve. And the people who gather together are called a church, hope together. Hope that in our openness to God, we fully open to one another. And in this life, this life of faith as we know it, we pray that the world might look more like God's dream than our own. May, may we pray for that each day. In Christ our Lord. Amen. And now let us allow our hearts to be lifted up to God with a solo. Do take note that this is a special piece of music. Uh, our director of music, Stephen Warner, one that he has composed with words from the theologian and teacher Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let us allow our hearts to be lifted up to the Lord. <laughs> 